Uh, mm-hmm. But we're we're just big enough, but not too big. <laughs> it, it's just the two of us right now. You could restore it all and rescue me from You had my fallen You Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. My name is W. Curtis Preston, your host, and I have with me Prasanna Nana Malianyanyani. How's it going, Prasanna? <laughs> Good, Mr. Backup. You forgot to mention. What? Oh, oh yeah. Did I not say that? You forgot say? to say that. AKA you're Mr. Backup? Uh, you did. You're slipping, Curtis. You're slipping. I'm slipping. I'm getting, I'm getting a little senile in my old age. It happens. Our guests have been in the software industry for about 15 years each, and they have founded Initer 32 LLC, the world's first Rust-focused consultancy. Together, they authored the Rust in Motion video series. She is a Rust core team member and co-author of the Rust programming language book, which is available for free online and in dead tree format from No Starch Press. He is a Rust infrastructure team member and the number one all-time contributor to the Rust tag on Stack Overflow. That's saying something. Welcome to the podcast, Carol Nichols and Jake Goulding. Hello. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to be here. So one thing that's not in your bio and not obvious from your names is that you are actually a programming couple. We are indeed. Sometimes I introduce myself as uh, Carol, open parentheses, Nichols, uh, or the or operator, uh, Goulding, and parentheses. Because um, I saw that in your, that's your email address, Carol yes, Nichols or yes. Goulding. I like it. I didn't right. change my name legally, but I will answer to either. And it right. kind of short circuits because I'll probably answer to Carol Nichols faster. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. That, I, I, I just have to say, I love the idea of a nerd couple. You know, I'm the nerd in our couple. My wife, like, can't program a smartphone, right? Um, I love her. We've been together for, for 31 years now, but she is not a, a technical person. Persona, your wife, though, is a is pretty technical person, right? She is a technical person, but more on the user side of things. Yeah, more side. on the user side, yeah. So yeah. I she, always, of course, do everything not so well because I care more about functionality than always thinking about the users. So I've learned over the years to start caring about customers and users and thinking from that perspective. So it's been really good for me, a different perspective. Not only are you both programmers, you specialize, it seems, in Rust, which we're going to talk about. But what it, what is it like actually working on the same things together? Do, do, you, do you work on projects separately? Do you collaborate? How does that work? We collaborate a lot. I mean, we make a really good team, which uh, helps when we're trying to solve problems. Uh, it's nice to be able to talk to talk about them. But we do tend to, I, I'm going to say, take our work home with us, but we're always home. So um, <laughs> downstairs, we take yeah. our work downstairs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Were you always home before uh, COVID? Well, pretty much. Jake had a local has a local gig that used to go into the office for, um, but. Since we've, I've, I've been home for a while. Yeah. Since, since we started the company together, we've been working on that out of our house. Yeah. So, so your company name is also very interesting. Integer 32. (laughs) Where did that come from? So integer 32 is the default numeric type in Rust. Uh, it's I, a 32 I knew it was going to be something like that. (laughs) Yeah. So if you just type the number 42, 
by default, Rust will infer it to be a 32-bit signed integer, which works well for, you know, kind of over-your-head clubbing marketing with, you know, well, we're just the default choice for Rust consultancy. And, you know, you can have... I get uh, it. I get it. You can have 64-bit integers these days, uh, mm-hmm. but we're we're just big enough, but not too big. <laughs> it, it's just the two of us right now. <laughs> Um, That's pretty I, awesome. I like it. And, 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 and integer32.com was available. So that was the other. <laughs> well, that, yeah. That, I, so, th- by the way, this, is, this goes into like, you know, Curtis Preston business philosophy. If you have a company name that like doesn't match your domain name, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with you. Yeah. Right. Um, so you, 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 you did well there. And before we go on, Curtis, I think you want to throw out our disclaimers. And oh, yeah the, else. yeah, the usual disclaimers. Yeah. So a couple of things. Uh, although Prasanna and I do both work for Druva, this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are all from Prasanna. And also, please rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. Tell us how wonderful you think that we are. If you really hate the podcast, there's really no need to go, <laughs> to go over there. And something just for this podcast. So we have uh, Carol and Jake on because they are part of an upcoming conference from Live at Manning. So there's a Rust conference September 15th, which is coming up in, in very short order. And I'm also learning from that people that program in Rust are referred to as Rust stations. Is that? Indeed. Yep. That's what you like to call yourselves. It is. Because I saw this the, this thing. It says, finding Rustations weird but intriguing, secretly wanting to become one. Tune in September 15th to the Live at Manning Rust Conference. Uh, and there will be a URL in our show description. And also, we have a 40% discount code for anything, any services at manning.com, which is podrestore 20 pod restore in the number 20 and that'll get you 40 percent off anything including the book from our friends here so let's talk about rust besides the obvious that it is a programming language how would you describe rust and and contrast it to other programming languages that's a hard question to answer just simply because of the huge number of programming languages. Um, <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little yeah. bit. Um, the way that I think we usually like to do it is we, we do very uh, individualized responses to that. We ask what programming languages people have experience to and then can compare and contrast against that. Um, probably the biggest one that people will compare Rust to is C. Um, mm-hmm. Rust is a low-level language. It allows you to manage memory yourself um, and it allows you to target really tiny devices embedded devices that you might find in your car and your cell phone the whole internet of things type things Um, but also really high level things where you can have it running on the server you can write really elegant looking code you don't have to actually uh, quibble with a lot of the details that you might in c carol and i both have a, a shared background of Ruby. And a lot of people come to Rust from Ruby or Python, I think is actually the number one previous mm-hmm. language. And that kind of also exposes how Rust has this really ergonomic syntax and ecosystem that is even comfortable to people who might not have had a low-level systems programming background. So it's kind of like getting the benefits and the ease of readability that you have with Python, but some of the 
additional lower level functionality you get with C. Is that kind of a, okay. And I, I, I have so many more questions than answers, but, and I, I don't know where to start, but so if I am comparing it to C, but so, so I'm hearing that it, it, it looks elegant and sort of easy to understand and read and, and I get the lower level functions. Um, what about I, when I was reading up on it, I, I, I heard this con- or read about this concept called memory safe. Um, can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So in C and C++, um, there are you have to manage the memory yourself and there are lots of ways to mess up managing your memory. Uh, use after free, double free, buffer overreads and overwrites, uh, no pointer dereferencing, and all of these problems that have led to crashes and vulnerabilities and exploits, um, they are all prevented at compile time by the Rust compiler in safe Rust. Um, so you don't have to spend your brain power trying to remember all these rules about how to manage memory safety safely. The Rust compiler does all that checking for you. So is Safe Rust a specific compiler for Rust, or is it just Rust in general provides that mechanism? It's it's default Rust. There is okay. an unsafe keyword where you can opt out of some of the safety checks to use raw pointers. Um, because there are some things that are inherently unsafe, but to get the most benefit of Rust, you try to minimize the amount of unsafe code that you have. And the parts that you do have are clearly marked with this unsafe keyword. So if you do have a memory safety problem, you have a more limited uh, number of places to look for the problem. Gotcha. So like if we look at all these exploits that have been out there and other things, a lot of them, I'm sure, come from these unsafe memory accesses or buffer overflows that allow uh, users to execute malicious code. Rust can help protect users from this just by how it's by the thought process that they went behind the programming language itself. That's right. Um, there's like been some recent reports from Microsoft Security and the Google Chrome team have both done studies, long-term studies of their largest uh, security problems. And they've both found that about 70% of their most severe problems are due to memory safety problems. Yeah, I mean, that that does not surprise me at all based on, because I, I end up reading a lot of vulnerabilities and that sort of stuff because those kinds of things result in... Um, you know, the reason why we exist, right? <laughs> so I get like a text message every other morning being like, hey, did you hear this new vulnerability? Did you hear so-and-so got hit by this? It's like, oh, yeah, Curtis. Yeah. Somebody's, <laughs> yeah. somebody's using it to do something bad, which is often, you know, doing something that results in somebody needing their backup system uh, often, right? So you were saying that you can turn off these sort of safety features. Why might you do that when you're programming? So ultimately, a lot of this comes down to the computers themselves are inherently unsafe. They let the, you know, the, the CPU itself has no notion of what these bits are and what they mean. And um, I mentioned embedded stuff earlier, and that's actually a good example of that. So with a typical embedded microprocessor, 
you can access all of these things from the outside world, you know, sensors and motors and things like that. Um, but those are usually just kind of mapped to a piece of memory. So you say, I'm going to go to memory address 20, and that's going to correspond to whether or not a button is being pushed right now. Mm-hmm. And so for something like that, you have to say, you know what, I'm just going to go to memory address 20 and see if it's a zero or a one right now. And there's nothing that the language itself can do with that knowledge. But what you do is you do build those safe abstractions on top of that inherently unsafe um, knowledge. And you say, well, actually, when I use it like this, it fits with Rust rules and it will be safe. Then the people who can build on top of that don't ever have to deal with that, but they can still benefit from the performance that you've created and like verified in some fashion by hand. The other big place it's used is FFI, so foreign function interface, where you're calling to other programming languages. Rust is able to call to a C ABI. Oh, crap, I forget what ABI stands for. Um, ABI, ABI, application binary interface, is yeah. that what yep. you were talking about? That's the one. All right, I've learned something today. <laughs> it's able to call to C languages and... C-like languages. So you can interface with Ruby and Python and anything else that also has a C interface, which is really important for uh, if you want to integrate little bits of Rust into your existing application that's written in something else. So that's a really important part of Rust, but the Rust compiler cannot uh, protect you uh, about anything that the other language you're working with might be doing. So whenever you call out to another language, you have to say, okay, I understand that that this might be doing something that the Rust compiler can't check. Just from the adoption of Rust, how long has it been around and kind of what has been happening in the industry around it? So it's been, we hit 1.0 in 2015. So it has been stable for five years. It's been in existence, I think, for about 15 years. It came out of Mozilla Research because Mozilla tried to make Firefox multi-threaded in C++ and found that it was pretty much impossible. (laughs) Uh, So they were really interested in uh, something that helped make that possible so that they could make Firefox faster. And that actually has been one of the big uses of it. They have had a um, experimental browser engine called Servo that was written entirely in Rust, and they have uh, picked bits and pieces of that as they have matured into Firefox. And the Firefox Quantum release that was a few years ago, that was like way faster, that was a lot of that was because of Rust. Um, But a lot of the larger companies have been using it. Uh, I believe Amazon and Google and Facebook and uh, Dropbox and... Oracle... Do they? Really? I think so. Okay. I think they've written like a VM-like thing in it. I'm I'm reading I'm reading on a Microsoft blog. Uh it looks like it's pretty popular Microsoft too. Yeah. Um the the um I, I help me understand this phrase. So it says according to an internal survey, the top reason for adoption was correctness, an extension of Rust safety guarantees that work towards making true the adage if it compiles, then it works. 
so, help me understand what that means. So one thing is, so Rust is kind of like you, you mentioned earlier, it's known for this concept of uh, memory safety. And the big new thing that's kind of unique to Rust is this concept of what's called the borrow checker. But the really great thing about Rust is it doesn't stop there. It actually uses a lot of great ideas from all sorts of other programming languages that already exist and brings them to uh, you know this area where people want to be able to use it for a lower level idea. Um, so Rust has a very strong type system. Rust is a statically typed programming language, which means that when you compile the code, it has to check and make sure all the pieces fit together. And that's a big part of what fits with what you're talking about there, where if you construct your system and its types well enough, then you make states that you don't ever want to be in impossible to be in, and you never have to worry about them at runtime because you've taken care of them at compile time. Um, you want to talk a little bit about option? I feel like option is a great example, and it kind of fits with yeah, the memory yeah. safety as well. So, so no pointers I mentioned are, are impossible in Rust, but sometimes you really do need to, actually a lot of time, you need to express the idea that sometimes you might have something and sometimes you have nothing. So Rust has this type called option, which has two, what are called variants. An option can either be some and hold a thing, or it can be the value none, which you might think, oh, that's, that sounds like a null pointer. What's the difference? The difference is that every time that you have an option of something, rather than just having an, uh, that something, so you have an option of I32 instead of an I32, the compiler checks that you are actually handling both the sum case and the none case. You can't forget that you might have nothing uh, because the compiler will say, hey, you said you might have nothing over here and you didn't handle that case. Um, <laughs> it's like when programmers go, oh, like Ruby, Ruby, you, ha you have to say, if not nil, like all over the place, because you have to remember to check that yourself. And it's easy to forget that, oh, this thing, you know, like five functions away might return a thing and it might return nothing. Um, and yeah, I'll like, just going to say that that's kind of how, like, when you're programming, typically you always worry about, like, those error conditions or the null cases at the very end. And it's like, oh, did I ever get all of those cases or did I forget one thing? And yeah. Going if you back ever worry about them at all. Yeah. yeah. So so that's one thing I love about Rust. And also one thing that can be annoying about Rust is that it, it forces you to think of all these things up front. Like, you can't even test out your code like one path of your code without acknowledging that the other paths exist, which I think is great because then I, I don't have that dread that, oh, did I forget something kind of existential? I know it's not, I know the compiler checked it because I didn't have any compiler errors. <laughs> um, but if you're just trying to like throw something together to script something, you have to be like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. No, forget about that. No, that's fine. Just crash for that. That's fine. So it's good and bad. And is that when you use the unsafe option then if you want to um, do some I quick check don't or test? I for that. I, there are, there's actually like a macro you can say unimplemented. You can say in this spot, I'm, I'm going to put some code later. Right now, I know there's no code here. If you hit this code path, then stop everything. Just stop stop what you're doing and don't continue. Um, so, so that That's I use a lot. That's actually really handy because at yeah. least then you know in your code, oh, I need to come back to this even though exactly. yes. I haven't done it yet. Yeah. You can just search for all the usages of exactly. that and go 
go fix yeah. them. I remember doing the XXX to do in code mm-hmm. and comments and being like, okay, I really should get back to this one. I, I have a business degree with a with an I you know an IS minor, right? So I I, I never got a you know an information systems degree. I never got a programming degree. I've never been a programmer per se. I've 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 coded, but only in like scripting languages, like like Perl and things like that. That's right? totally well, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that I haven't done compiled programming languages, okay. right? I, I'm always fascinated by people who. They've programmed in, say, C for their whole career. And then they find something like Python and they go, wow, that's just really cool. I'm going to start programming in this now. And then they find Rust and they go, wow, this is better than Python. And they start programming in Rust. And I, what I don't quite understand, because I haven't done it, what is that like, right? Because it's not it, like, t- to me, it's like, oh, I've been speaking English my whole life. I'm going to start speaking Spanish now. Is it like is it like that? Like, what's the learning process going from these languages to another language? That's interesting. Um, so, so for me, it didn't it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like okay, today I'm I'm never going to write Ruby again. I'm only going to write Rust. It's more like because um, there's a, a sunk cost kind of thing uh, where you know you've got a job doing one programming language or a handful of programming mm. language and you know them really well and you might be interested in a new one. It might sound kind of neat, but like you don't know it well enough to get a job in it yet. So you're still going to use the old one. And and sometimes you might not want to learn any new programming languages because it would, it would be work to learn a new programming language and you're comfortable in the one you were, you're in. Um, but like, uh, as you learn more, they they get easier to learn because a lot of it is very similar. You just have to like learn the keywords that are different. Um, Rust, I feel like, is a little different, and and we make this uh, case in our video series because we've seen we've seen people who are used to being able to pick up new languages and run with them and go code up something new. They they think they're going to do that with Rust, and they like hit this brick wall of the borrow checker because it's it's. <laughs> A different concept from a lot of other programming languages. Not, not none of the like mainstream programming languages have this concept. Um, and this then is they, the thing they, you were talking about before. Yeah, yeah. Borrow checker yeah. Uh, works with lifetimes and references and does a lot. Yeah, of you have safety. to structure your code in a different way to get the compiler to understand. Um, and Jake, I want you to tell your your C story in a minute. Um, uh, but. So, so I've watched people do this. They hit this brick wall and they think, I, I, what's, what's wrong with me? I, I thought I could learn new programming languages. And they either go, something's wrong with me or something's wrong with Rust. And, and they like throw up their hands and, and leave. Um, but these, these concepts were just so new. And so, so I got into it because I was doing a lot of performance tuning with Ruby and there's a certain level you get at where you have to drop down to C to get any faster. And I'm terrified of C. And around that time, Rust was coming out and it was like a year or two before it hit 1.0 and it was kind of interesting. And and then um, a friend of mine wrote Rust for Rubyists and I was like, oh, I can do this. Oh, um, nice. I like it. And so that friend is Steve Klabnik and that work ended up becoming the book that he and I co-authored, the Rust Programming Language book, because I, I kept reading his book and and sending him pull requests to fix things. Um, so <laughs> so then he's like, 
then he cursed me with with becoming a co-author. <laughs> I want to hear this C story. Oh, right. So Carol and I actually met, we were working at a company, uh, did a lot of C work for a search engine. And Jake so, did the C. I, I did I did other stuff. Right. And mm-hmm. so I considered myself a, a fairly competent C programmer. I'm very egotistical, so I actually considered myself way more than a good, <laughs> but I figure I'll say it for the, for the podcast. And... Um, when Carol found out about Rust, you know, I, I also learned about it at the same time. And I was working on a library for fun and C, and I was like, this is terrible. And I had moved it to C. And then I learned about Rust. And I was like, well, let me try it in Rust. And I had this exact experience that Carol described where, you know, I was writing my code and the compiler just kept saying, no, you can't do that. No, you can't <laughs> do that. Now, Rust actually has really, really great error messages. But some of these error messages for things that you're not familiar with, with the borrow checker, can be overwhelming. Um, and so I, I rage quit. I said, this is stupid. I've been writing C code for, I forget the exact number at the time, but for my whole life, effectively. I know what I'm doing. This language won't let me know. do what I know is fine. I'm just going to put it on the shelf and come back. So I came back about like a week later, a little bit calmer, and did the same problem, thought a little bit harder about it, um, probably found some blog posts or something like that, and then it clicked. I understood what the compiler was trying to tell me. And then I had this sinking feeling because I went, oh my God, I have been writing this code (laughs) for my entire life and it's wrong. It's been wrong the whole time. Wow. So sorry to IBM who acquired us for getting my code that had all those problems in it but it's not my problem anymore. <laughs> nice. Uh, that, that, that is a very, uh, Jake, that is a very humbling story. I, I appreciate you, you know, being, you know, being vulnerable on this, on this very public podcast. Um, so now I want to ask where the, the name Rust came from. Um, there, there have been multiple origin stories, some, m- most of which have been told by the person who started Rust. So, so there is no definitive answer. And like, I think this is on purpose. Um, I think it's that some of the stories are, uh, well, there's a fungus that grows on wheat. I forget what that had to do with anything though, but like a rust is <laughs> close to the metal, mm-hmm. Um, the people who worked on the beginning liked bicycles and there was rust on their bicycles. That logo is kind of a bicycle gear. Um, what are the other stories? I would also say rust eats the metal. That's the the only problem with that analogy. My favorite part about this is, so the original author of rust, Graydon, he, um, had a, like a mailing list post where somebody asked, you know, what's the origin of rust? And he started by saying, I've made up an answer every time I've done this. <laughs> and then he gave another answer and everyone's like, oh, well, that must be the true meaning. <laughs> and it's like, you did not read the first paragraph yeah. of this it's, email. That's funny. My, you know, my favorite. Um, um, so, you know, you know, the, the, I, I grew up in the Unix world. Right. And the the, the cool thing about Unix was that you had each command was designed to do one thing, right? Um, and then, you know, it was the idea was that you would take the results of that command and pipe it off using standard out 
you know, and pipe it into another command via standard in. And, um, and so there, there were all these like hundreds and hundreds of little tools that did just one thing. And there was this one command whose job it was to fetch mail. And the command was called biff. This is a, it's a Berkeley, a Berkeley variant of Unix that used this command called biff, whose job it was to go get mail. And um, the origin story of that was that Biff was the name of the dog at University of Berkeley that would chase the mailman, <laughs> and that's where that and that's where that tool's name came from. That's my favorite origin story of any of any uh, of any tool. So I, I was reading again. I was reading that blog post that was that's from Microsoft, and they were saying that one of the reasons why they think uh, Rust really has a future is that they they talk about a really strong community behind it and helping build um, the um, they said that it says uh, much of the power of language comes from outside of its core through libraries, tooling, and learning materials. Uh, I think they were talking about you guys if they were talking about learning <laughs> materials. So, uh, so what, what, t- talk to, talk about the community behind Rust. Absolutely, I, the, the community is another big part of why I love Rust. Um, the language has had a code of conduct since it was open sourced, which is great because you don't have to have the whole conversation about whether you should have a code of conduct or not we've just always had one. So if you don't want to program with a language that has a code of conduct, then you shouldn't use Rust. Um, but tell me code what of that, yeah. yeah, tell me what that means. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it says it, it is a policy that uh, you are to treat everyone with respect and kindness and that there are consequences if you don't do that. Um, and we have so a moderation it's a code team. of conduct of people. Yes. Yep. I, Because I, I, I thought this was like a programming thing. Oh, this no, is no, a no. human beings thing. Human I beings like thing. that. Yes. Um, so you, you would think that uh, this wouldn't be necessary. It is absolutely necessary because people are jerks on the internet. And um, like especially the C and C++ and, and Linux communities uh, in particular are, mm. are nasty. They think that... Um, the, the technical correctness that you have to argue and be mean to get the best technical stuff. Mm. And there are so many smart people who have just opted out of that completely. And I'm Rust has gotten a lot of those people because you shouldn't have to put up with abuse to make a technical contribution. And, and you should be able to get help without being called stupid and you should. So, so we don't tolerate stuff like that. And it's really important um, we have a, an awesome moderation team who's all volunteers who you can contact if, if someone uh, says something that is inappropriate and mm-hmm. they keep track of those things and will ban people from Rust official spaces if need be. Um, and they mediate conflicts and things like that. Uh, so it's expected that you act like a polite adult in our spaces. And I think that's really important. And Carol mentioned that it's surprising that you have to have one. It's also surprising to me that even having one itself is a divisive thing. There are people who get angry that you have a code of conduct at all. We treat each other with, with respect and we welcome people who don't think of themselves as system programmers. We welcome people who um, haven't you know, been programming C since they were eight or anything. Um, which is why there's a, a lot of learning materials. We want to enable more people to to write faster code 
write safer code uh, without having to spend, you know, years and years uh, studying uh, the arcane rules of C and and things like that. Um, another part of this, part of the ecosystem is uh, Cargo, which is a tool that comes with Rust that is like the, the package manager, the build tool, the test runner, a whole bunch of other uh, pieces that make using Rust easier and especially easier to depend on a library that someone else has written. And in C and C++, it's actually really hard to, you have like your make files and everything's built in a slightly different way. With Rust, everything just uses cargo and you pull it down and you run cargo, cargo build and or cargo tests or, and it fetches all the libraries you've declared that you're depending on uh, and builds everything all together. So it's definitely it's, less daunting. Yes. <laughs> I remember in C having to deal with make file errors and you just spend hours and hours trying to troubleshoot. Why is this not working? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Ruby and JavaScript and Python have had package managers for a long time. So, so Rust kind of stole that idea from them and, and people like who have come from Ruby and Python, like expect a programming language to have that sort of thing. But, uh, this is not common in C and C++. So bringing these modern tools to a systems programming language is another strong suit of Rust. Interesting. I, 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 it sounds like a cool community. I, I feel like I should join, even though I don't You're program. welcome to. You're very welcome to. I don't know what I would do, though. But, <laughs> but it sounds like a cool place to hang out. I like this. Um, I like this. Uh, it's funny when you said, what did, what did you, did you say code of conduct? What did you yeah. say? You said code of conduct. Yeah. I, I literally thought, like I said, I, I thought you were talking about you, you need, you know, you need to always do these programming things. You were talking, <laughs> you were talking about human, human being things. Yeah. So I know Carol in the beginning that we had talked about this upcoming conference uh, that's coming up for about, Rust. Are there other? Con Could you talk a little bit about that, and then also other potential conferences that may be out there as well? That for people who might be interested in learning more about Rust, I know you pointed at the community, but other events. I feel like you might have done some research before asking this question. Um, we also run uh, Rust Belt Rust. Uh, we're not having it this year because of COVID and um, just being busy with things and. Uh, but we have had Rust Belt Rust in Pittsburgh and uh, Ann, Arbor, Ann Arbor Dayton, and Dayton. And we were going to do Columbus. Pittsburgh again. Columbus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because we're we live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is part of the Rust Belt. Go uh, Steelers! Yay! <laughs> Woo! We're more 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 uh, Penguins fans these really. days. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'll, I will cheer for anything Pittsburgh. Um, there, there's actually a decent amount of tech stuff going on in this area um, that I kind of wanted to show off by moving the conference around the Rust Belt and and because I get to call it Rust Belt Rust. Um, <laughs> that, that is very, you know, apropos. I don't know what if, if apropos is the right word, but it's kind of cool that, like you said, Rust Belt Rust. I like that. It yeah. works well. Yeah. Um, one of our speakers the first year, made like a bar graph because there's there's rust fest that happens in europe uh there's rust comp which is the official flagship event of of the rust community and that usually happens in portland um 
and then there's Rust Belt Rust, and he drew a bar graph of like amount of rust, and Rust Fest had one, and Rust Comp had one, and Rust Belt Rust had twice the amount of rust. <laughs> like, yes, we picked the right name here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I hope we get to run that again in the future. I I enjoy running events. I like getting people in a room to talk about the things they all find interesting and and because so much of the stuff that we do is online uh it's really neat to get to see people face to face um and and i'm kind of anti-celebrity i like um my friend steve klabnik who i'm a co-author with some people think he's like internet famous and i'm like i like i've known him for years he's just this guy like what <laughs> why are you like omg it's steve i'm like he's just this guy um so uh i love i love getting you know stars of the rust community to sit down with people who have just started last week and and just talk about stuff because we're all just people um so especially, especially when you don't know what the star yeah. actually looks like in real yeah. life and that's so my have, favorite you have that 10 minute conversation and they're like oh by the way you know who are you online because we only we only know each other as like GitHub names, and then they say, yeah, "Oh, I'm so." Yeah, it's funny that, that you say that because I've had the same experience for me, right? So I'm I'm an O'Reilly book author, and uh, I remember uh, the first time I got together with fellow uh, uh, book authors, and there was this, this table, and I, as I recall, they were like there were like five or six of us, and two or three of the other people at the table were people whose books I had revered and thought of as Bibles in my career. And um, once you meet, and, and I had never seen any of them in person. And then once you meet them, they're just like totally normal people with the same, you know, insecurities as everybody else. And there is this, there is this assumption that you're going to be full of yourself because you've written a book or something. Right. Which yeah, no. clearly is not the case in your, <laughs> In your guys' case, because you seem like totally normal, nice people. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right. So so the this conference, it's coming up September 15th. I think it's in, if you go to manning.com, I think they also have a banner. It does have it. I think it's a third banner there. The Rust Conference, September 15th from 12 to 5 p.m. Eastern time. And it is free. Yeah, it's the it's the skinny banner across the top, right? That it, it's, Yes, yeah. Uh, it's, it appears to be salmon in color <laughs> i think that's what that color is so it's an online event it's all free we'll i think there's also a discord chat um so it won't be quite the same as getting together in person but i hope it'll be in, as enjoyable as it can be for these these trying times we, 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 the the company that we we work for druva ha, typically we have two big conferences at this time of the year both uh, VMworld, which is from you know VMware, mm -hmm. and then we have um, AWS reInvent, and those are both two humongous conventions that we would normally be going to, and we're not going to those. It's really weird. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Curtis is going um, a little crazy being. I'm going a little. Crazy. <laughs> I travel. I travel a lot, and I'm and I'm a very people person, mm -hmm. uh, and um, I. Um, I do get to see my granddaughter though, because my granddaughter lives with me, and she's seven, and she's adorable, and she actually comes on the podcast sometimes. Um, and we ask her what we do is she comes on, she'll walk in, and I'm I'm on the podcast, and we ask her technical questions. We just <laughs> ask her like random, just a random technical question, 
and and force her to choose between two types of technology that she knows nothing about. <laughs> it's pretty adorable, and though. It's yeah. pretty adorable. Yeah. That sounds very yeah. cute. So, all right. Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Carol and Jake, for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you, guys. I learned a bunch about Rust, and maybe, sure. Curtis, you and I should sign up for the online community or look up some uh, additional info about it. I feel... I, I know that they would welcome me with open arms, but I feel very inadequate <laughs> from a programming <laughs> perspective. So uh, with that, uh, again, uh, thank you, Prasanna. Thank you, Curtis. Always a pleasure. And always a pleasure. And thank you to the listeners. And make sure to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore and uh, subscribe so that you can restore it all. system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it. Instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. It'll be completely done.